Amen. Would you stand for the reading of the word? We're going to John chapter 5. John chapter 5 today. Someone's already preaching back there. <laughs> That's it, pastor, preach. That's the interpretation of that. <laughs> John chapter 5 and verse 1. After this, there was a feast. I hear pages turning. I want to stop right there at a feast and, stay, and say thank the Lord that there were Jewish feasts. Um, because as you can tell, I don't have a problem with eating. Is everybody there? We probably want to get to the scripture quickly or this could go downhill fast. After this, there was a feast and the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, wanting for the moving of the water, people who were sick. For an angel went down at the certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever, now here it is, this is why they're all there. Whosoever then, fir then first after the troubling of the water stepped into stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. He was healed if he got in the water first. And a certain man was there which, led, which had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in this case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? What a strange, strange question. Will you be made whole? And the impotent man answered him with an excuse and with blame. He said, Sir, I blame others. I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But, will, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. He blames someone else, and he emphasized his victim status. And look at what Jesus does. He does not address the blame game. And he does not address the status of, I feel like a victim. He jumps right to requiring action of the man. Jesus said unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. Immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the, day, on the same day was the Sabbath. I want to talk to you for a little, a little while. I don't know how long this will be, but I want to talk to you about own it. Just own it. Until you take responsibility, you can't change it. And when you take responsibility, God gives you the strength and the foresight and the wisdom to change it from his word and from his spirit. Own it. Jesus, help us today to be like you, for you owned everything. You owned things that were not yours and changed them, God. You went to my cross and you owned that sin and that shame so that I could step out of the place where I was at and be covered by your blood. You took on responsibility you didn't have to. You took on shame you didn't have to. But because you owned it, there's an empty tomb, and I thank you for it. Someone ought to thank him for it right now in the name of Jesus. Go ahead, close your Bibles if you can. Put your hands together, and let's just thank the Lord for just a minute that he bought us with a precious price. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
You may be seated in the house of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever had anything that you leased or that you made payments on and you had the opportunity to make the final payment on it. Anybody ever been there? Make the final payment on a car or made the final payment on a maybe even a house or something else. Isn't that a great feeling? Amen. It's, it's great to own something. To say it's mine, nobody can take it. Nobody can take authority over it. Nobody can have rights to it because I own all the rights because I own it. Something about that that's important. And of course, people go to seed on that and they begin to make it into something it shouldn't be and step over into pride. You know, I own this and I own that. And you don't know what I rolled in on and you don't know what I have. And you should see all this stuff in my house. And I got a pool and I got a yard and I got this. And, I, and it becomes a point of pride. But this own it I'm talking about is not a place of pride, but a place of spiritual authority that I want to talk about. I'm not talking about a place where you talk and you tell people who you are because of what you have. That's not the own it that I'm trying to talk about. Because some people know that it's in rap culture. It's in all kinds of places talking about how I own this thing. And I bought it with my own money. And I don't need this or I don't need that because I can do it all myself. It's self-gratification. It's self-glorification. And it's not the own it I'm referring to. The own it I'm referring to is to be like Christ in the sense that he owned everything and took responsibility for things, and in so doing, he made great changes. It's taking responsibility. So this, this lesson today is about taking responsibility for life and for becoming what God made us to be, amen, and that we are not supposed to be under the authority of another, but under the authority of Jesus Christ, because he bought us with a precious price, amen, and this also addresses this lesson, the the importance of embracing positive change in your life. That everything can look negative because if you are only looking for the negative, that will, all, that will be all you see. Your cognitive bias will lead you to see all that's wrong. And we typically have natural instincts to find what's wrong. Some of you are very good at that. Maybe it's even your job to do quality control and to find what's not right. But I want you to know that if you flip the coin over, there's a place you can live where you find everything that's right in Christ Jesus. Amen? That you can not only just step away from that negative thinking, but you can begin to put the Word of God into your life, which is the positive thinking that God wants us to have. Not our own positive thinking, not our own hope so, wish so, wish so could have been, but God's Word literally living out in our life. And in order for you to have this positive change, you don't need a yoga mat, you don't need a hot sauna, you don't need a place of rest and relaxation in a cot or in a hammock on the the side of a lake. You need the Word of God in your life that can encourage you and change your mind and lift your mind to whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any praise, if there be any glory, if there be any praise, think on these things. So positive change does come from positive thinking, but the world didn't think of that. God did because he wires us to think into action and action into lifestyle, lifestyle into destiny. Amen, somebody. So you have to have several foundational things in your life that you truly believe about God. You must believe 
that God has a plan for your life, Jeremiah 29, 11. You must believe that. You must believe that you're not just wandering, making decisions, hopefully getting to a better life. You have to understand that God said, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Sounds good to me. Would you like to own that verse today? I want to own that kind of thinking, that God has a plan for me. The second thing that you have to absolutely believe as a foundational structure in your life is there is a battle engaged for your life. There is an enemy that has come to get the people of God because he can't get to God, so he's going to go after God's people. He cannot hurt God, so if he hurts his people, he hurts God. That is his plan, and therefore, with that plan, we know that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they have, might have life and have it more abundantly, though, Jesus said. So I'm grateful that we can have a more abundant life even though we have an adversary. How many have felt the adversary this last couple of weeks? You have, it's okay to admit that because we know we're in a battle, amen? And sometimes we win the war and we lose the battle. Sometimes we lose battles along the way, but we will win the ultimate war because we are victors in Christ Jesus, amen? So you have to understand that even though you have an enemy, he has been conquered, even though you slip and fall at times, there's grace to get up again. And so you can cry. You can struggle. You can hurt. You can have pains. You can walk through life and trip and fall. But the only thing you cannot do is fail to get up. You must get up again. You must try again. You must strive again. You must get the word out and say, God, feed me. Give me something to encourage my spirit. If your spirit's broken, this will fix it. If your heart's broken, this will fix it. I promise you, this is the owner's manual to the the one who owned us and he bought us with a price and if you want to know the best life to live he can tell you how to live it amen so I don't preach under my authority. I preach under the authority of the word of God today. I have nothing to give you of myself if I don't give you this word. Do you understand? This is what changes us. This is what gathers us. This is what brings a rhema to our life. This is what gives us faith today. This is what turns around our situation. This is what makes our day new. This is what reminds us that mercies are new every morning. This is what reminds us that we can get up again even when we fall. This is what reminds us. That even if you curse God three times, you can still be used to preach God's message again. Because Peter did that before the rooster crowed. You also have to believe that even in the fight, you can be abundant. Amen. Oh, my goodness. I feel the presence of the Lord here. Somebody needs to hear this. I don't know who you are, but you need to hear and you need to believe that too many of God's people are losing the battle in marriages and with their children, with finances, with life. When Matthew 9, 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You need to believe that you need a Lord over your life. We were meant to have a good shepherd. We were meant to have guidance from the word of God and from God alone and from the spirit that is within us. If you've been filled with his spirit, you walk with God's spirit. You try to push down the flesh and lift the spirit. You try to minimize yourself and exalt Christ. You do that in every place in your life, and I promise you, you will win. If you put the Lord over your life, everything else has to be submitted to 
to his authority. Not only yourself submitted, but every situation has to be submitted. And so, therefore, you will have victory because of who he is and what he has done. Can someone say amen? There is the gentleman that went into jail. He was uh, very successful in business. If you get very high up in business, you start to realize that litigation is simply used to direct people. Governments and, and businesses have litigation all the time. They get sued. They get sent to court. They, and he didn't realize that this restraining order that he got, this this cease and desist order was as heavy as it was. And, and so suddenly he finds himself going in, a successful businessman, to a court situation and walking out in cuffs, headed to jail. And he goes to Pendleton, uh, Pendleton Institution, which, Correctional Institution, which is in Indiana, and he decides, how am I going to do this? How am I, Sarah, could you come here for a minute? How am I going to do this? How am I going to make this happen? And so he begins to work on something. So then she's on a mission. She's on a secret mission. And uh, so that's what he decided he was going to do. He was going to be a secret, a, a secret uh, advocate for change when he goes in. And so he got in there, and the processor said, you're the happiest prisoner that's ever come in here. And, and he was walking with God, doing the best he could, knowing what he could do uh, would be only to have a good personal, uh, you know, attitude and try his best to, to deal with the reality that he now was in. And he came to a particular situation where he saw a picture, and it was a picture about two prisoners. And, and I don't know if you guys have that picture or not, but it's the picture about two prisoners. And the prisoners are sitting in prison, and, and, and the statement goes, two men sat behind prison bars. One saw mud. The other saw stars. Thank you. And so what he decided to do with that was he decided to reframe his situation. How many have an empty frame at home? Anybody? Haven't put a picture in it yet? And how many, have a, how many want to admit that you bought a frame and it's still got the picture of the people that you don't know in it? <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> Nobody wants to admit that one, huh? <laughs> well, I have frames on my wall. She just went and took this off my wall in my office. I have frames on my wall that are empty because I want to remind myself that there's still masterpieces that God's working on that are not in this church yet, and they're on their way. Amen? So... I had a guest preacher, and he's like, well, you really like empty frames? <laughs> I'm like, no, that's to remind me that God's still at work on somebody that I don't even know yet, and they're going to make a difference in this church when they get here. Amen? So I wanted to put this up here because I wanted to focus on the, the, the story that this man reframed his situation. Reframing is a psychology term. It's taking where you are and reframing it to be a better situation, even though you're not denying the reality of where you are. You might be in a bad situation. So what he decided to do was he took his situation, which is Pendleton is one of the worst. One in four inmates die or are killed while they're in prison. And he was telling the story of, of a friend that he made inside. And they were going into the showers, and, and his friend followed another guy in. And then there was three guys that followed behind them and closed the door. And he said it was like a horror movie. It was just blood coming out from underneath the door. And he said it was like that all the time. They didn't know when someone was going to get taken out. And one of, the room, one of the guys that had come in behind him had sharpened against the wall a toothbrush and put razor blades with it. And, and this was the lifestyle that he was living. This is horrible. 
horrible. This is the worst place to be. And he had to reframe that. And he, the only way that he could reframe that was to say, I could either look at the mud or I could look at the stars. I could either look down at my situation or I could look up to the God that can get me out of this situation. And that's how he reframed it. He reframed it by putting it into God's hands. And that's what you have to do. You cannot change it yourself. You cannot change the reality yourself. But what you can do is you can reframe it and put it in God's hands. And God will start telling you, do this, do that. You're, and when you, when you start to work with God on stuff, he starts to tell you what you can do. And he, put, he lines up situations and connections and opportunities. And all of a sudden, there's a new job offer. And all of a sudden, there's a place where you have to go to work. But you don't, may not even like the job. But while you're at the job, something happens and there's another opportunity offered. And had you not taken the bad job, you would have never gotten the good job. You understand how God works. He walks you through different things. David, go out to the field and take cheese and, and crackers or whatever it is David was taking. But if David wasn't humble enough to take the little bad job and take it to his brothers that showed that he wasn't willing or wasn't able to be a strong warrior like they were, he would have never seen Goliath in the valley of Eli and would have never rose up in his chest and said, we are the people of God. Do you know who owns this army? It's God Almighty. And there's no way a giant, a Philistine, an uncircumcised one at that is going to tell God's people who they are and what they have to do. We are going to fight. And then they found out they always got carried around and the, and the brothers were like, just stop it. You know who, you, you're just trying to be famous, just trying to get Saul's daughter, you know. And he's like, I didn't even know about that, but I'm going to go talk to Saul. And Saul tries to put his armor on him, tries to reframe the situation because David doesn't look like the warrior you'd send into the valley to fight Goliath. So Saul tries to reframe it, only he reframes it wrong. He tries to give him his armor. And while, while David is in his armor, yeah, this doesn't work. He just decided, I'm not going to do something with something I haven't proven. In other words, I can take what I know to work and go do more with it than others can do with greater things because I have proven what I have. So David walks into that valley and he says, do you know who I am? He doesn't say, do you know, do you know what I have and who, who, what I own and, and all of this stuff? He says, do you know who I belong to? In other words, your environment does not define you. Your God defines you, and you step into an environment knowing who you are and who you're owned by. And whenever you say, I am a child of God, you are not being arrogant. You're taking spiritual authority. You're reframing the situation that's bigger than you by putting God in the picture and make him bigger than the situation. And so he did that. He began to write a little story called Mud or Stars. And when he did that, he passed it out. He got an opportunity to get near a printer, and he printed 50 copies, smuggled them out of the, the lab that he was in, the, the classroom. And he just began to, as a secret agent, slide them under the doors of inmates, the worst possible inmates that were in that place. And he, about two weeks later, he didn't know if it was working. But he slid this story about a young, a young prisoner that met a veteran prisoner whenever he was getting processed to go into prison. And the veteran prisoner gave him information about how to survive and how to live. And one of the things is that you need to realize that this is your decision, how you will come out, how you go through this, how you, what you become from this is your decision. You can either fall and become like them, or you can be better than them. 
And he told him that a tree is not strong because of the dirt that it's planted in. A tree is strong because of the wind that it endures. And we have to understand the wind of adversity can come to our lives. The, the winds can blow, struggles can come, but you're not strong just because of where you're planted. That is important. Don't get me wrong. I'm not minimizing where you're planted, but I'm also not minimizing the fact that the winds that blow through your life will make you stronger because it'll make you run deeper roots. When you get into enough pain, you will go to this word and say, give me roots, Jesus. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to get through this. I need something deeper, and he will help you, amen? Build deeper roots to be stronger in him. And so we own it. Perhaps the most countercultural thing I said all day is own it. Um, the idea that you can take something that's difficult and take responsibility for it. I want you, I guess, to understand that to move into the life of abundance that God wants for you, you have to own what's around you. And so we live in a world that says failure is someone else's fault. My pain, my future, my hardship is all someone else's fault. That's the world we live in. But when we take ownership for these things, our behavior and our mindset changes. If my behavior is bad, it's because you didn't do enough to make me better. That's what the world says. Well, here's the hard part of, about owning things is when you take responsibility for your life, it means waking up and realizing that if things are bad, I have the opportunity to change them. So I am where I am because of the culmination of my choices. That's a hard lesson to learn, to learn that I made bad money choices, and that's why I have a negative balance in my bank right now, to learn that I overspent or I overbought, to learn that I did things that were not wholesome because I had either ego or pride involved, and I wanted to look good even though I didn't have the resources to back it. All of these things are so hard to take responsibility for. And I want you to understand that I'm not saying that other people's sins don't affect our lives because they do. What people choose will affect your lives. But the things that other people do can make our journey harder, but they can't make it impossible. Amen? because God can bring you out. And I share with you the story that's really hard for me to share, and that is the story of me growing up. I had something else here, but the Lord is telling me to share this, so someone needs to hear this. I don't know who you are. I'm very thankful that you're here. I'm very thankful that you're listening online. But whenever I was growing up, my stepdad was abusive. Alcohol was in the home. Like many of you dealing with alcoholics around you, if you, if you deal with that in the... And I don't know who's listening online, so I'm trying to hit every demographic. Maybe you didn't deal with alcohol a lot, or maybe your family doesn't drink a lot. But dealing with the situation where a stepdad was sexually abusing my sister and myself, and then it was being hidden, and all of these things were going on behind the scenes, but yet we showed up on Sunday service with everything all tucked in, looking pretty and proper. Amen. That just about ruined me. Because that said that church, looking good at church was more important than owning what was going on at home. And you can't support a life like that. You cannot live for God and have everything a disaster other than looking good when you come to church. It will not work. Sooner or later, what's in your past or what's in your life will run you over. 
and then it will back up and run you over again. You know, I'm just telling you the truth. And so what happened was everything that looked good and looked right, all this turmoil was going on behind the scenes, and, and I was getting uh, beaten, and I was being locked in my room, and I spent some time in my room that the only time I came out was to eat or to massage my father-in-law's feet so I could watch some TV. I was, I was literally scared because the only time that a man came into my room was to come in and abuse me. And so I had those things, and I shut down emotionally. My emotional, my, my body language and my emotions literally shut off. I didn't have any responses. I just kind of, cool, cool. I just kind of dealt with it, and people would come into my life and leave, and I didn't have a problem with it because I was so used to things being taken from me that I thought being, things being taken from me were normal. And any time something was given to me that was very nice, I would try to give it away to bless somebody else. It taught me how to be a giver, but it also taught me how to be poor. And then I learned how to be poor man, and then I learned how to get poor man's pride, where I didn't, I don't need your help. No, nah, I'm good. I don't need any help. And I wouldn't talk about the issues that were inside so I could heal. And that is a very difficult place to be because you're not owning who you really are. And you're not owning what's going on in your life. And I, I know it's hard to have this conversation over a pulpit because when I start talking about, you know, helping somebody or giving somebody some advice, we immediately get kicked back because the, the response is, you don't know my life. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know who I am. How can you give me good advice? Well, I'm not offering you my advice. I'm offering this advice. And this advice is how to have a best life. I'm saying don't, get, don't change your life because of my success story of coming out. Change your life knowing that my success is only because I use this word to walk out. I use this word to walk out of every struggle, every problem, every situation. It didn't matter what it was. I went and found a word. Whenever I felt overwhelmed, I went to the scripture and found a place where it talked about that I should be an overcomer. And that is my life verse. That my life goal is to be an overcomer. Amen. And my wife has come, come, commented to me all the time. She's like, I appreciate how you work on yourself. And I'm not talking about myself here. I'm saying that is the overcomer spirit you have to have to own things in life. That even if it looks bad, I'm beating this. With the power of God in my life, I'm beating this. I'm reframing it. And so he reframed. He said, I may be in Pendleton, but it's not Alcatraz. I may have been abused when I was a child, but I'm still alive. I may have had a bad situation growing up, but I'm using it as a story to change people's life every Sunday. And even if I don't feel so polished, even if I don't feel so ready, even if I don't feel that I can do the best I can or that this even deserves to be online, it doesn't matter how I feel because I'm preaching the word of God. I get myself out of the way. I use my testimony to improve it, but I preach that word. And if I preach that word, it's changing me while it's helping change you. And we all leave here better, not because we put on our Sunday best, but because we can came encounter with the best model of living life you could ever have that you find in the word of God that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world and I can do all things yeah though I fall seven times I'll get back up the scripture says just get up again and that is the point that is the point I don't know how you fell but rise take up your bed get up again 38 years he spent laying by the pool. You think he didn't have some thought processes of a victim? 
You think you didn't have some thoughts that if only I could get to the pool faster than others? I mean, can you imagine the kind of thoughts he had? Where's my friends at? Why can't they help me get this done? Where's my brother and sister that would pray for me? Where's my help? Where's someone that can fellowship with me? Where's someone that can come and sit here and listen to me? I have all these things that I want to say and nobody to talk to. Imagine all the thoughts that went through his head. And yet when Jesus got there, he said, how long have you been here? And he said, I've been, you know, 38 years and I can't get to the water ahead of somebody else because of my infirmity. And Jesus said, do you want to be better? This is the question, and I brought it up the other week. Do you, want to be, do you want to be better? Do you want to be made whole? And that word whole means holistic. Everything in you healed. The mental scars, the physical scars, the abuse, the background, everything. I'm going to step through your past because I am the God who is past, present, and future. And I'm going to pick up all the broken pieces and put you back together in the present. I am the only God that can go to your past and pick up everything that's broken and bring it to your present and baptize you in my name and fill you with my spirit and cleanse your heart and make you new. I am the only God that makes new and truly can reclaim you for who you really were meant to be. I can make you whole again. Who's making that accusation? Who's making that offer today? I can make you whole again. There's a whole lot of billboards selling a whole lot of things, but none of them are selling. You can be completely made whole and new. I want to be born again every single day. How about you? I want to look for the stars. I want to look to God. And so whenever you hear the messages like that, you can, like this, you can kind of stove up and say, you know, you don't know me. You don't know what I've been through, and I understand that because I was like that. I was, also, I was also the one that had fears. And you don't even know you have some fears that you have. But whenever someone starts talking about the, the places where you're not doing well and you need to own you automatically have the, the greatest human fear that shows up, and that is, I am not enough. And when you feel that way, you will wall off and say, no, nah, no, nah, I don't want to touch that. No, nah, I'm good enough. I'm good right here. I'm okay. And really, the truth is that if you let yourself, if you let yourself step into that place where you go, you know what, I own that I'm not enough. I own that I don't have the willpower to get out of this addiction. I own that I don't have the willpower to stop clicking on bad websites in the middle of the night. I own that I am not there. And I'm not saying that I, I don't have those problems. Trust me. God has been so gracious to me to bring me out of so many things. But I'm telling you, my testimony is I have walked out of it only with the power of God, but I had to admit that I wasn't enough to get out on my own. I had to admit that I need a mentor. I need some sort of accountability. I need her to walk with somebody. I need someone to come beside me. Yes, it's good to have the Lord beside you. He never leaves you and never forsakes you. But you need a brother and sister in the Lord to help you walk out. If you're going to own something, you need to go to somebody that you trust, that is trustworthy, that doesn't have a tongue, that runs, amen, somebody. But you have somebody that you can go to and say, look, I'm struggling with this. Would you pray for me? Can I call you at 3 a.m. if I'm having lust? 
stressful situation. Can I call you if I'm dealing with problems because I want to get out. I want to be made whole. That is how you tell heaven that you want something different. That is how you own it yourself. As you say, I want God to heal me and I'm not going to live my life the way I've lived it before. I want to be made whole and I will do whatever it takes. If I need an accountability partner, if I need accountability software, if I need something where I get together with men on every Tuesday night and I talk about or I get together with the ladies and we talk about things that we're struggling with so I can be strong enough to get through Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. That's fine. Do whatever you got to do. Own it, brothers and sisters, so you can get better. Amen? Because Jesus wants you to be a part of the healing process. He will heal you, but he needs you to change the way you think. And that helps you walk out. Rise, take up your bed. Take up the places where you've laid down and given up. Get up. That's the thing. Is you, you feel like you're giving up, but really the true giving up is giving it up to God. That's what I'm asking you to do today. If you leave here not remembering anything else, when you feel like giving up, just turn it around and say, I feel like giving it up, but the giving up I'm doing is not letting everything go, but I'm actually giving it up to God for him to help me to rise up and go further. Give it up to him, amen? And then when you come to church, give it up in praise. Give it up in worship. Just keep giving it up until sooner or later, quitting and giving up is no longer in your vocabulary. And all you have is a praise that shows up. All you have is a worship that kicks off. All you have is a Holy Ghost experience. Every time you run out of energy, you don't have any resources. You don't have any strength anymore. Whenever you get to that point where you're constantly giving it up to God, sooner or later, it builds in you a strength where you can own the moment with your praise in war. You can worship in warfare. You can come to God and say, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm so tired. But you can hit your knees and stand up stronger because you know how to worship and praise God through it. You own it in your praise and your worship, but you don't start there. You start by giving it up to God again and again and again. Fall a thousand times, get up 1,001. Again, again, again. Just do it over and over and over again. That's how I got out. That's why I have tears. That's why you wonder why I cry when I preach. It's because I did it. I did it with God's help. I have no addictions in my life. I should have been a statistic. I should have been an abuser. I should have been a person who would not be able to open this word and preach the gospel, feeling God's presence like I am. But the Lord is here, and he's talking to somebody's life, and he's doing his work. Why? Because you can if you own it. Would you stand with me today? The horrible thing is to live a life surrounded by spiritual people and not own it yourself. To live a life surrounded by anointed people and not own it yourself. Not realize that you need this for your life. You need a walk with God where he owns everything in your life. And realize that every adversity carries with it the seeds of an equivalent or greater benefit. Every adversity in your life carries with it the seeds of an equivalent or greater benefit. As long as you plant it in God. As long as you give it up. Would you give up some praise to him right now? Jesus, whoever needed to hear this today. Help them to take ownership and responsibility, not to blame others, not to say, no, I I would be healed if it wasn't for that. 
I would be healed. I would be better if it wasn't for that person that said those things or did that or or accused me of this or saw me even fall or saw me struggle. I would be better. Jesus is here today, and he's asking, will you be made whole? He wouldn't ask if he wasn't able, and he's able to make you whole today. Would you reframe it today? Would you bring it to Jesus? I want to open this altar, and they're going to begin to sing. And I want you to come and struggle if you have to. I want you to kneel if you have to. But don't leave this altar until you own what it is you're fighting in life. Till you put it into Christ Jesus. And you say, I, I'm not here saying with pride that, do you know who I am? I'm here saying, do you know whose I am? Devil, do you know whose I am? You're messing with the child of God. You cannot do that. You, st you cannot mess with me without messing with who owns me. I am bought with a precious price. There's someone that needs to surrender something to the Lord today. We started with that. Would you come today? If you want to sit and pray, that's fine. If you would stand and pray, this whole room is an altar right now. And as they begin to sing, take ownership of what's been struggling, what you've been struggling with today. In Jesus' name. 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 No shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up. Coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. Lie you won't tear down. Coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Still you give yourself away. 